hey, what it do, everybody? Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan. And I am super hyped for this last mini series on the sacraments. We've covered six of the seven in the past, and today we're covering our last and final one, which is the sacrament of marriage or holy matrimony. So, Speaking of holy matrimony, your boy here is about to get married and enter, enter that holy matrimony with your homegirl, Napoli, in about three weeks. Let's go. We're so excited. We're so blessed. And uh, please pray for us as we enter into this next journey in our lives together, the two becoming one flesh to live our lives together. So she already is the best gift ever given, but it's going to be perfected as it's raised to the sacramental life of the church to be she is going to be the most perfect sign for me of God's love and mercy for me and my life. And not only will be will she be the one that we're called to get to heaven together with to sanctify each other, but we're also going to be the ones to bring heaven to earth here in this life for one another. It's going to be awesome and we're so excited for the journey and extremely blessed. All right, so speaking of future wifey, Napoli, uh, I hope you listen to Baby Boo. I love you. But Napoli and I, in the future, probably after we're married, because right now we have a lot going on, but we're actually going to sit down together and talk and discuss uh, a topic called theology of the body. So this is diving very deep into the very teachings of the church on the meanings of our body. So theology of the body, I think it's just going to be really powerful to have Napoli on, um, specifically because any woman to talk about this type of topic is going to be super powerful and important to see a woman's perspective on all these topics, but especially Napoli because she has a background in studying theology of the body and she's given talks on it and everything. So it's going to be really incredible. And she just has a heart for women and for the beauty of our created bodies and what it's actually called for and to reflect the, the love of God. So it's just beautiful. So just a quick overview of theology of the body though, or people call it T-O-B, theology of the body. Theology means the study of God and the body. So theology of God and of the body. So um, that was developed over a course of five years. It was over 129 Wednesday audiences from Pope John Paul II between 1979 and 1984. So Wednesday audiences are when the Pope goes out and gives um, some sort of uh, talk, I guess is the best way to say it, or like a homily. Um, at the Vatican. Um, and over those course of five years, he had 129 Wednesday audiences that he talked specifically on this and this specifically diving um, deep into the desires of the human heart. Um, we And he asked why we were created, the meaning of our bodies, and ultimately it illuminates the beauty of us as human beings in relation to each other and God, and it magnifies and reflects God's desire and plan for us. So obviously, this podcast um, from me by myself, and even when Napoli and I get on here, it is not and will not be a marriage or relationship counseling and telling you what you should and shouldn't do. This is specifically talking about the beauty of the teachings of the church on marriage and sexual morality and the gospel or good news of these teachings, right? Because anywhere that Jesus and his church are, their truth is, is where freedom is. And it's always the gospel. The church, the Catholic church never separates the lordship of Jesus Christ and the gospel because anywhere the Lord is Lord, he, there is the gospel, and it's always good news, and it's freedom, joy, and life. So, but for, for today and these next, uh, I'm going to do three 
episodes and today we're going to be talking about um we're going to be talking about just the sacrament itself marriage the second episode we're going to be talking about sexual moral issues and the third episode we're going to be talking about divorce um so we'll talk about a lot more once napoli gets on the show uh in the future probably in like the spring or sometime but for today and the next two episodes or this little mini series on the sacrament of marriage on marriage where it's going to be me talking again. I'm, I, I know everybody's like, just get Napoli on, dude. Like we hear way too much of your voice. And I know I hear you. I feel you. I don't even listen to my own podcast because I don't like listening to my voice. But hey, we're going to get Napoli on here soon. It's about to be hype. But anyhow, these next three episodes are going to be more from an apologetics perspective and also just explaining logically and through revelation of the meaning of marriage in our bodies and the natural means or the natural ends of what marriage and sex are created for. So in this episode, talking about marriage, it naturally brings in the the need to discuss and to to touch on sexual moral, uh, sexual morality. So then we're gonna briefly talk about that in the next episode, and obviously in the more in the future with Napoli. But in these next few episodes, we will be talking about marriage and the underlying principle that illuminates all the sexual morality teachings of the church. So before we even dive in, I just want to say that I absolutely love this topic because marriage, it shows the depths of God's heart, his love for us, and that in all teachings of Jesus and his church, including the topics around sex, it's always good news. So, and it's always going to lead to happiness, joy, peace, and freedom, and that is the case of all sexual morality. So, uh... Allow Jesus to be the Lord of your entire life, including your single dating or marital life, because this is really, really good news. So let's first talk about just the natural order or revelation around us. So we can come to truths from philosophical and logical reasoning, right? So the natural order around us shows the ends or purposes as the natural world that was created and is sustained by God. So science, it's the study of the physical reality, which already presumes that there's an order to it, right? So it's it's repeatable. They can always look at it. And um, even uh, scripture even talks about how Jesus is the word of God before all creation and all things were created through the word, right? So everything that's created even expresses the beauty of the most perfect, beautiful being, which is God, or the most beautiful creator who created everything that we, that we see. And in Romans 1.20, St. Paul even talks about this. St. Paul says, Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So he's saying that from from nature we can come to know God, right? So like because the created world gets to gets expresses the creator. So all cultures throughout all of history in the entire world has always naturally had marriage, which has always been and is the union of a man and a woman to raise and educate children. And thus the underlying principle even in nature Uh, is the union of the husband and wife and the procreation of children, which we will discuss that principle later. With divine revelation, God elevates this natural revelation or this natural order with his supernatural grace. So for baptized Christians, their marriage union is a sacrament, which is a visible sign that communicates an invisible reality or grace that's instituted by Jesus. As with every sacrament, 
and covenants made throughout salvation history, there are vows and a sign of act and or and a sign or an act. For marriage, the vows are like what you say on the wedding day, and the act is most perfectly expressed in the marital embrace, sexual embrace because it's a complete self-gift. My first question when I was becoming Catholic and I was learning about the sacraments, I'm like, all right, I see uh, six of the sacraments that Jesus instituted, but where did he institute marriage? I never see him marrying anybody in scripture. Well, we're about to see. So uh, we see the image of marriage throughout salvation history. So at the very beginning in Genesis, God was uh, Adam, was with God and Eve, entering into a covenant with each other. Covenant meaning sacred family bond. So Adam and Eve and God had a sacred family bond, which was expressed in a marital covenant. So marriage right at the beginning. Then throughout the Old Testament, God refers to Israel as his bride and himself as husband. Then in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. And then at the end of divine revelation, in the book of Revelation, it's the great Wedding feast of God to his people, the church, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Israel. And Jesus being the fulfillment of all divine revelation through the the Hebrew people, him being the fulfillment, he also revealed the one God, three eternal persons pouring themselves out in love. So he revealed the eternal blessed Trinity, right? So three persons and one God eternally pouring themselves out to each other in complete self-giving love. That's why it says in 1 John 4, 7 that God is love because love is not just an abstract thing, but it's an action and it's complete self-giving love. And God has shown that most explicitly in his very nature of the blessed Trinity of that eternal self-gift. And there was actually a quote from a movie that I recently watched with uh, my fiance and her family. It's an Eddie Murphy movie, actually. It's called Mr. Church. It's a good movie. I, I'd recommend it to you. Uh, but, he's, but the quote is said this at the very end of the movie. It says, A book is meant to be read from beginning to end, but is best understood from end to beginning. And as Christians, we have that revelation of the end from Jesus. Jesus revealed that into us and we see the great love story of God to his people that has pointed to this reality of the heavenly marriage of Jesus and his church, right? So when we go into the Gospels, remember the the Gospel of John is the very first half is called the book of signs and those signs are not just miracles, but but they're specifically called signs by John because they point beyond themselves, which are expressing um, the sacraments, the seven sacraments. So all the six sacraments that we've already covered, we've already just covered where that is found in John, these, uh, these signs that are, that are shown, um, for the sign that's in John for marriage, it's at the wedding of Cana in John two, one through 12. So Jesus talks about his hour here when, uh, Mary, his mother and our mama too. Hey, Mary, she says they need new wine. And Jesus explicitly hears that and receives it as referring to his hour, his hour of his passion and death on the cross. He says, my hour has not yet come. He connects the new wine at at a marriage feast at, at the wedding of Cana to his crucifixion where the wedding actually took place, where Jesus poured out his blood from his side for his bride, the church. 
And this, uh, that image of his blood being poured out from his side for the church, this is actually a fulfillment of the reflection of how Eve was created from Adam's side. So the church, us, we are created from Jesus's side, the new Adam, right? So just uh, a side note here, this actually shows the equality of husband and wife in dignity. Eve wasn't created from Adam's Adam's head, so he, she wasn't over him, and she wasn't created from his feet, so she wasn't under him, but from his side as his helper, right? So, so too with Jesus. He lifts us up as his bride, the church, into his very divine life of love. Uh, that's that supernatural grace that infuses the love of God in us. And even with Adam at the beginning who was with God, he was not alone, but God saw that it wasn't good that he was alone, even though he had complete access to God and he was in paradise, but he still saw that he wasn't. it wasn't good for him to be alone. And so then God made Eve. And once Adam actually saw Eve, he said, finally, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and calls her woman. So he identifies her and then he finally identifies himself. He calls himself for the first time man. So finding his identity in his bride, right? And so this is why Pope John Paul II has this beautiful quote that says, man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. It's out of that very paradox of giving away that we truly find our true selves. And that's what we see at Adam and Eve. And that's what we see as ourselves as the church from uh, our, our bridegroom, Jesus, pouring out his self from his side, from his heart into us. And so at this wedding of Cana, it's Jesus, the new Adam, and Mary as the new Eve. Go listen to the Mary episodes. And Mary represents the church here because Mary, she's completely spotless from sin and she was forever a virgin, right? And that's exactly what the church is. She, it's a spotless bride that is forever a virgin. So at Jesus's hour, now fast forward to like John 19, where he gives himself on the cross for us at his hour, his complete life was emptied for us on the cross. He held nothing back from his church. He gave everything. And this self-gift that Jesus has expressed shows four attributes, which will you can kind of think of them as the four Fs. And we'll, we'll talk about this throughout this series. But the four Fs are essentially freely, faithfully, fully, and fruitfully. Let me just break it down really quick. Freely, meaning you willingly choose it. Jesus, he willingly chose the cross for, this, for the joy set before him, us as the bride. Faithfully, it's always the love is always loyal and is exclusive and indissoluble. Fully, holds nothing back, gives everything. And fruitfully, produces unity and life. So, and this is what exactly the beautiful connection that St. Paul makes in Ephesians 5, 21 through 32. So Paul here is making the connection between the marriage between a husband and a wife and the marriage of Jesus and the church, right? And he even calls it a great sacrament or mystery at the end of this discourse, right? So if you just read the very end of it in verse 31 and 32 of Ephesians 5, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, or that word can also be translated as sacrament. And I mean in reference to Christ and the church. So St. Paul is explicitly making the connection of how 
Christian husbands and wives are supposed to reflect that very love of Jesus to his church. And Jesus on the cross held nothing back. He gave his entire self. You hold nothing back, right? So that's what marriage is is supposed to reflect, that very love, that self-giving love, holding nothing back, receiving and giving completely of yourself. And St. Paul, at the very beginning of Ephesians 5.21, at the beginning of this discourse, he even talks about how uh, he's telling husbands and wives to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he says, wives, be subject to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And then he goes on elaborating on that. But a lot of people hear, wives, be subject to your husbands, and it sounds like this like submissive, this uh, this submission to the husband, like he's superior. That's not what St. Paul is saying. His very next sentence, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? Completely gave himself and even to the point of dying for the church to give her life. So when he says, wives, be subject to your husbands, he immediately follows that up with the husband being subject and loving the wife as Christ loved the church. So he's already putting in that prerequisite of the husband having a complete gift of self, this sacrificial love that he will do anything for his bride. And therefore, this submission to the husband is not a superior thing, but it's this trust, this that it's that free, faithful, full, and fruitful self-gift, right? And this is where the church gets all of her sexual morality teachings because as Jesus gave himself for the church, so too we should be giving ourselves completely to one another, holding nothing back. And uh, moving forward to the end of the Bible in Revelation 19.6, we see the marriage supper of the Lamb, which shows the heavenly worship, which is presented as a wedding feast between Jesus and his church. And Jesus is depicted as a lamb as if slain. His sacrifice on the cross is eternally present, which shows his free, faithful, full, and fruitful gift of self to us, his church, for all eternity. The two, Jesus and his church, become one flesh in that marriage of heaven. And this very fact of Jesus um, giving himself totally on the cross and uh, totally at the Last Supper and totally for eternity in heaven, this is one of many reasons why almost every single Catholic church has crucifixes and not just crosses in the church because the crucifix, it shows the depth of God's love for us, his self-emptying love for the joy set before him to redeem us and to lift us up as his bride, presenting us perfectly without blemish to the Father, right? And so that's why when you just have a cross, you're missing the redeemer of that cross and it's not the full expression of what Jesus did. It's my Lord and my God, my Savior, my best friend who died for me, who gave himself for me. It's the bridegroom giving himself to the bride, the church, fully. And that's what is so beautiful about a crucifix. Just meditate on that sometime. And so that's happening out in heaven. But even here on earth, as we've discussed in the past, talking about the Eucharist and Mass, we become one flesh with Jesus at every single Mass which is a direct participation in the heavenly worship that we just uh, talked about in Revelation. So even at Mass, the priest holding up Jesus in the Eucharist after after consecration, he says these words, 
which are both from John the Baptist when he sees Jesus walking up to the Jordan River and the very words of heaven and the heavenly worship that we see in Revelation. The priest will say this, holding Jesus in the Eucharist. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Those two lines are from John the Baptist. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. And that is from Revelation. So the very breakdown of this actually follows so beautifully with Ephesians 5 when I was just like preparing for this whole talk. So he says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is exactly what St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. He says that husbands are supposed to love their wives as Jesus does the church who gave himself up for her, sanctifying and cleansing her to present her to himself in splendor and holy and without blemish. Jesus takes away the sins of the world to present us, the church, exactly like that. And that's what men are supposed to call, are called to for their wives. And the last saying is the marriage, blessed are those who are called to the supper of the lamb. This is that marriage between God and man, the two becoming one flesh, God and his humility coming down to lift us up in our humanity to share in his divine nature, which is a, an eternal self gift of uh, self, which is perfect love. So notice too here that what we just talked about, it's an ongoing process of Christ to his church of sanctification. And it's the same thing with marriage. It's constant and committed, unfailing and faithful love. With every Eucharist, we renew our covenant, our, our covenant, our vows with Jesus, the bridegroom, just as every time the marital act, sex, occurs in marriage, the marriage covenant or the vows are renewed every single time. And that union with God at mass and in heaven, it's not a sexual embrace, right? But the sexual embrace in marriage expresses most perfectly that intimate self-giving love that we have with Jesus at every Eucharist. And it points us towards heaven, but also brings heaven to earth in that complete self-gift. So here we see this beautiful connection of the ends of the sexual act, the gift of self to another person, which is both unitive and procreative. In heaven and at mass, we become united or one flesh with Jesus and there's procreation or life. And Jesus even talks about this in John 6 when he talks about the Eucharist. He says, when you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have life within you. So it's both union with Jesus and it's both life with Jesus. It's unitive and procreative. So Jesus here, he's expressing that full gift of self, right? So Jesus gives himself of those four Fs, freely, faithfully, fully, which gives us that unitive aspect as we become one with him, right? And this union with him gives life or fulfills that fourth and final F, fruitfully. So this is what our marriages are called to reflect, the free, faithful, full, and fruitful gift of self to one another that brings unity and life into this world that reflects and points to the reality of heaven. This is the divinely revealed love of God. This is why marriage is so beautiful. Oh, what a gift. Okay, so that kind of wraps up this very first episode about marriage, but we're going to talk about this principle further in the next episode and how this truth revealed through nature and through divine revelation is a beautiful 
gift. And when that natural ends to which sex and marriage were created, namely the union of the spouses and procreation through the free, faithful, full, and fruitful gift of self to another, when those, when that principle of those realities are directly thwarted, the act becomes inherently and intrinsically disordered and we slide very fast into using, abusing each other and contradicting the very nature of love in its highest form. Until the next episode, God bless you.